Well, again, welcome to a new year. Um, you did it. Perfect attendance for 2024. So if Jesus comes back next week, we can all walk into eternity uh, just having nailed it this year when it comes to faith and church attendance, so well done. Um, it is also a new season on the church calendar, which is the one that we call the Epiphany. And the word Epiphany means something like the manifestation, but not in the sense that like you're manifesting your next career move or the house that you'd like to buy or something like that, but it's more about these moments of awakening, of seeing things uh, for the first time as the stage light burns out. Uh, we're off to a great start. We're off to a great start. Uh, about seeing things for the first time or maybe in a new way uh, or for the first time in a long time. Uh, so this word epiphany is this uh, term that helps us, you know, you have these epiphany moments. And traditionally, it is a season to see Jesus. It's that simple. To notice Jesus, perhaps for the first time, um, or in ways that have until now been quite hidden to you. Uh, it is a season to refocus and to see Jesus again, as it were, or again, maybe in ways that have been foreign to you until now. The church that I grew up in had lots of art hanging on the walls of the building. It was a very big church as well, so lots of art, usually depicting scenes from the Bible or some uh, church history uh, piece of art or painting or things like that. And when I say a lot of paintings, I, I can't describe to you like hundreds and hundreds of paintings uh, in the hallways. And so when we would skip service as teenagers, uh, we would walk up and down the halls and look at the paintings. Uh, there was one time back when you, the, we had these very small um, you know, we record movies on our phones now, but back then we had these very portable uh, cameras that were like this big and you put tapes in them and you could record. And one night we got in and we went through the building and recorded voiceovers to all the paintings, um, which we then showed our youth pastor who sort of laughed with the door shut uh, of the office. Uh, it was great, but lots of paintings is what I'm trying to say. But there was this one piece of art that hung in one of the hallways that always... Uh, uh, struck me as interesting and appealing. And it was this painting by Canadian artist uh, Willis Wheatley, a, a, a rendering that was made in 1973 called The Laughing Jesus. And maybe you've seen this photo before. Um, it's kind of hard to find. Uh, it's one that I would love to have in our building somewhere. Um, it was originally titled Christ Liberator. Uh, I love that uh, original title, that laughter is a way of liberating, perhaps, uh, the things that we are underneath. It's a wonderful piece of art. And of all the paintings and pieces of art that hung on the walls of that church building, the one where Jesus is laughing uh, was the most interesting to me because it stretched my understanding of who Jesus was. Maybe you didn't grow up in a church where Jesus laughed at all. Uh, and maybe you see this painting and you're like, yeah, he's, he's laughing at me. He's laughing at the person I have become. And that may be true, uh, I don't know. Uh, but with grace, he laughs. And so there's, uh, there was always this stretching of my mind of who Jesus was when I saw uh, this piece of art. It's a new image of someone that I thought that I was quite familiar with. I love what the rabbis say about 
the Bible, that the Torah has 70 faces, that we read a verse that we might be familiar with, but then we turn it just a little and we read it again and it says something new and different to us. There's always something new to see. And I think this season is designed to help us have these kinds of moments and turns in our faith and in our understanding of Jesus. Epiphany invites us to walk inside the stories of Jesus and to look around and to let our eyes readjust and to see things we haven't seen before or to be reawakened to things that we have become too close to or too familiar with. And the story that we are handed on the first Sunday of Epiphany is always the story of Jesus and his baptism by John in the Jordan River. The scriptures for this whole season, they move and shift uh, each year, but the scene of Jesus' baptism is always the opener uh, to this season. This day is often called just the celebration of uh, the baptism of our Lord, which is a strange turn of phrase, isn't it? That the Lord would need baptism. And so there's already a bit of scandal at the beginning of this story and with the story of Jesus. And I want us to walk through the scene that Brian just read for for us and just notice three things today. Um, Three points. I have a sermon with three points. Well, maybe just a meandering point with three uh, turns along the way. But he begins real simply saying, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for what? Forgiveness. Of sins, that's worth noting as we move through the story. Now, by the days of Jesus, baptism was a Jewish practice that had been around for well over a hundred years. And it was an act of ritual, uh, and it was tied to the idea of purity, this announcement of a person's desire to be made whole, both in how they were living externally, but also in the internal world of the person, which is really the most difficult for us to keep squeaky clean, isn't it? No, okay. Uh, But John the Baptist is doing this. He is baptizing people for this very reason. And he's a well-known prophet, uh, Israel's last sort of great prophet. And his sermon and all of his railing against the nation of Israel is about Israel's drift from their calling to be the image of God in the world. That's the most simplest way to say it. So he stands there in the river baptizing people as a means of this changing of direction for them. That's what he's doing. And I love uh, old baptism pictures. Um, They're really beautiful to me. And the ones that take place in the rivers, uh, those scenes say the most to me. This image of the old rolling downstream while the new rolls over us. Can you see that? When baptism is talked about in church history and some in the scriptures, it uses the phrase living water. And living water is a fancy phrase to just depict water that is moving. And when someone is lowered into the river, it's as if there's a death taking place and the old life rolls away and the new one rolls over. And though baptism is rooted in divine things, it's actually a very human moment. 
this intersection of God and the person, the touch of God on the life of the person, a moment when boundaries are crossed between the divine and the profane. It's a touch point between us and God. It's beautiful. And that's what John is doing. And he's doing it quite well. All four gospels talk about this story and some even talk about how many people are coming to see this and to take part in this. So much so that people in Jerusalem who have authority are sending, you know, the, uh, the religious police down to the Jordan to find out what's going on with John. Because in any time and place in history, if you start drawing a big crowd, people get interested. What's happening? And that's what he's doing. Mark goes on to tell us, he proclaimed, John, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. So John has this reputation. He's quite famous. John is mentioned, in fact, outside of the Bible. People know about this person. And he says, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, something John recognizes he has no handle over. Now, what John the Baptist is doing here is he's referring to Jesus and a kind of transfer of power. Even the act of baptism would change with Jesus in John's mind. John's like, I'm just washing you clean as a, as a public ritual. But whatever Jesus does with baptism is going to be wholly different. So John the Baptist has this high view of Jesus. And he's out here calling out Israel for their sin. And he's baptizing them back into the ways of God. And the crowds are very big. And his influence is very wide. And John says, I don't even uh, think I should even be allowed to put Jesus' shoes back on his feet. I'm not even at that level. So John the Baptist was not unaware of the position of who Jesus, of Jesus and who Jesus was, which makes the next scene in the story very confusing. Mark writes, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, there's a couple of times in the Gospels, and this is just an aside, I want to point this out, leave this verse up on the wall. Um, there's a couple times in the gospel where Jesus is described using these same words, from Nazareth, then Galilee, his name, Jesus, etc. And what you should know about the ancient world uh, in this particular region is that all of these things that are mentioned here are very basic things. Jesus was a very normal name. There wasn't just one. A lot of people named Jesus. You could throw a stone in certain communities and hit a Jesus. Except the real one, he would catch it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But a very common name. The town of Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's like, uh, so you grew up in Tifton, huh? <laughs> like nobody cares, Right? And all four gospel accounts mention the baptism of Jesus by John. It's not an insignificant event. When they're choosing what to put on paper, this one made the cut in all four. It's an important moment in the life of Jesus and in his work. It is the event that opens the ministry of Jesus. This is the thing that inaugurates the beginning 
of what Jesus does. But in the early history of the church, it was a very confusing story because John is out there baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. And why does Jesus need that, you see? And so it was confusing to the ancient church and they had to wrestle with that. Some avoided the story altogether and just ignored it. For people whose lives were sinful, that's what baptism was for, the people who needed it, for the people whose lives were broken and needed to be mended by the grace of God. This is for uh, mortals or muggles, depending on your denomination. (laughs) So why is Jesus doing this? Why is he stepping into the river to be baptized with a very specific kind of baptism for the forgiveness of sins? Well, there's been a mistake that's been made in more modern interpretations of this story, and it's that Jesus always being baptized is a way to show us that we should do that too, that we should be baptized, that Jesus is setting an example for the rest of us, that he's modeling for us. Maybe, but I think there's more going on. I think that cheapens the story and the meaning of what's happening. The thing that we're invited to see, the epiphany that we're invited to have in this scene, again or for the first time, is that Jesus is standing in the river with those people who felt as though they had blown it in their life. And with those who felt a deep need for grace and forgiveness, Jesus is standing with them. And this is the story that all four Gospels use to begin the larger story of Jesus. That his baptism marked the beginning of his work, and it sits here on the pages of our Bible as the first step into that story. And Jesus began by standing in the river with imperfect people and joining in with their baptisms of renewal. That's what they were. And we get the sense that what matters most to Jesus is being where the brokenness is. Amen? Jesus began his work and marked it as such by standing and being baptized with those who felt like they were fumbling through life. I'm reminded of the boy uh, Hayes in Flannery O'Connor's story, Wise Blood. Hayes is the grandson of sort of a wild and frightening preacher. And he's trying to escape that. And he says, quote, the way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. This pursuit of perfection. But all of us know that perfection is hard to come by. It's also very hard to maintain the best morning routine in the world doesn't shield us from the structures of brokenness that exist in our world. An epiphany is about these divine moments, these divine showings of Jesus. And the first of these is in fact quite profane and earthly. It doesn't feel divine at all. The unveiling of who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do is quite surprising. A baptism with those who were fumbling through life. But let this stand as a reminder of God's heart for you and for me. To be where the renewal is taking place. That's where 
Jesus wants to be. To stand with the broken and the fumbling and the suspicious and even the despised. Amen? Joan Chatister writes, we see Jesus accepting baptism by John, a sign that Jesus accepts humanity, his own and ours, and all of its struggles, all of its limitations, all of its burdens, and all its focus on the ultimate, on the divine. Perhaps you've made some resolutions for this year. Um, I'm not against those. I've made some. Um, But they're all very similar, aren't they? To be better at this, to be stronger at that, to be more this, to be less that. Perhaps you've made those. Perhaps you've already blown four, four out of five of those. I don't know. But we start our year in this building together, here in the Jordan, where Jesus reenacts a death and a resurrection, a drowning and a return. That's what's happening. The symbol of renewal, a new life. And it's important not to miss that. Not to take one more step forward in our faith this year without sitting still and noticing this. To become awakened to this scene that Jesus began his ministry with the announcement that something new is being born. It's like part of that passage that Danielle read at the very beginning of the service from Genesis 1 and how the world is chaos, but the Spirit of God is hovering above that and wanting to do something. The door to a whole new world is opening. And we fail at most things, including faith. But the first thing we find Jesus doing is participating in an act of renewal and that the road with him is paved in grace, in mercy, in forgiveness, and rebirth. Just shy of breaking down, there's a bend in the road that I have found called home. Take a left to loneliness, there's a place to find forgiveness called home. Drift across the sky like heaven's laundry hung to dry. You slowly feel it all will be revealed. Where evening shadows come to fall on the awful and the beautiful. Every wound you feel that needs to heal. Silence yearns to hear herself. Some long lost memory.